So great to be with you, season three and Thursday night church. It's a good moment. Man, new building coming. Y'all seen the building out there? It's coming. It's coming. I'll do an update soon, but stuff's happening. It's, it's going. It's going. It takes a while, you know? Sometimes you just want to get in there. But it takes time to build stuff, you know that? So it, it's coming. It's coming. Man, you know, I was thinking this, this week, I was thinking about um, some of the decisions that I have made in my life that have resulted in where I am today. I call these defining moments, defining moment decisions, DMDs. You made any defining moment decisions lately? I don't know if you have or not, but I, I think it's the decisions that we make. Sometimes, you know, we don't even realize it, but we can make decisions that alter the trajectory of our life, where we end up, how we end up. Like, have you ever thought maybe to yourself where you are right now? You go, how did I get here? Well, it was, it was some major decisions that you make. We make major decisions. You know what career path we're going to go on. That's a major decision that we make, right? Think about some defining decisions that you have made in your life. Think about my wife. My wife made a defining moment decision the moment she decided to take me off the market. That was a defining moment in her life. Amen? Hello. Lucky woman. I'm a lucky man. I'm just playing, all right? That was a big decision that I made too. You see what I'm saying? Like, like, like decisions, like wh where you're going to live or if you're going to marry this person, you know, or where you're going to go to work, or you're going to pick up, move your family to another state. That's a defining moment decision. Some of you made those. Some of you might be in a place like that now. Uh, decision that you make spiritually, that's a defining moment decision. We have these decisions in our life that, that we make, and a lot of times, you know, it's these we think about big things like, how did I get to where I am today? I've, I've wondered that at times. How did I end up here doing what I'm doing now with the family that I have now? And you go, okay, I must have made some major decisions, big decisions along the way. But do you know what I've discovered? I've discovered this, and that is that big defining moments in our lives are often the result of actually smaller significant decisions that we've made along the way. What I want you to understand is the big things where it's like, oh, these really big decisions to get married to someone, big decision to move, big decision. Those things are actually the result of a series of smaller, significant decisions that we make along the way. You know, you know your career path that you're in or maybe where you're going to go to school and what you're going to study. You might think that's a major decision. It is, but it started a long time before that when you're in school and you're making a little decision that you're going to study for your test and you're going to work to get a good ACT score so you can get into the school so that you can walk down the path that you feel like you should go down. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I think sometimes we look at this, the big things. The really big things. Can I tell you this? It's often not the big things that trip us up in life. It's the small things. It's not the big things. It's like, okay, I'm waiting on this big thing. It's the small things that tend to trip us up. In fact, I would argue that most marriages that don't make it and fall apart, sometimes we'll point to something, see it was that. And I would argue and say it's often not the big thing that you think it is, but it was a series of a bunch of smaller things and uh, offenses that you never resolved in your marriage that actually led to the big thing. A lot of times we go, what's the big thing? It's the big, no, it might be the small thing. And can I say something about your spiritual journey? Because that's what faith is. You should know this. Faith is not just a decision. 
Faith is not just, okay, I prayed this prayer once. Faith is not just, okay, I believe. Faith is not that. Faith is a journey. It's a spiritual journey that we're walking all the time in life where we're kind of growing and learning and trying to discover what it means to follow God. That is a journey. But let me tell you something. Where you end up on that journey has everything to do with some really small decisions that you have to make in front of you. I would also go so far as to say this, and I just want to be direct as your pastor and say, the very thing that might be holding you back from the destiny that God has for you might not be a big thing, but it might actually be your refusal to be obedient in one small area. It's like, I want God to do this, and I'm waiting for God to open up this door, and I'm waiting for a sign from God for this. I'm looking for a big thing, and God might be saying, yeah, but I'm waiting for you to do that one small thing that I put in front of you. If we're not faithful in the little, we're not going to ever experience the more that God has for us. And so it's all about those little decisions. Sometimes we overlook the little decisions in our life. And I'm telling you, those little ones are the ones that actually pave the way for the different destiny that we want. Today I've got a message I wanted to show you, and if you've got a Bible with you, if you would get it out or turn it on, electronic device, I want to be in 2 Kings chapter 5 today. 2 Kings chapter 5 is a story that I think illustrates this beautifully. I believe it's something that God wants to use to speak to us today. It's a story about a man who is not an Israelite, a guy who is a foreigner to the nation of Israel, but, but God wants to do something in his life. Second Kings chapter 5, I'm giving you a second to get there. Now listen, if you want God to do something big in your life, can I make a suggestion? Why don't you pay attention to the small things that he speaks to you in church? Maybe write them down. Maybe take a note or two. Maybe say, okay, God, what are you saying to me? Because it's the small things that can in turn create the big momentum that you want to see in your life. Second Kings chapter 5 verse 1. It says now Naaman, that's the guy we're going to talk about. His name is Naaman. Everybody say Naaman. Naaman, okay? It says now Naaman because that's his name. And Naaman, that's just so you remember it. I'm corny, so you'll remember this stuff, all right? Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master, that's the king, and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but, everybody say but, but he had leprosy. Here's a guy who is an Aramean. He is, just to give you context, he's an enemy of the Israelites. The Arameans at this time actually were often at war or battle with the Israelites. So this is an enemy of God's people that we follow in the Old Testament. And here's what's interesting about this guy, um, Naaman, is that he's the commander of their army. He is a valiant soldier. He's a warrior, probably legend, okay? And he is fighting on the wrong side. He's on the wrong team. That's just want you to understand that. This is about Naaman. He's a commander. He's highly respected in every way, shape, or form. And literally, it says this, and this kind of threw me for a moment. It says that... He was successful because the Lord had given him victory. The Lord. Now, what's crazy is a couple chapters earlier, what you'll discover is that there was a huge war, a battle between the Arameans and the Israelites. I would bet Naaman was the one leading the attack against the Israelites. And oh, by the way, in that story, it says that the Arameans killed the king of Israel. And now here we read, now this is crazy, that it was 
through the Lord that God had given him victory. Do you know, I think sometimes we go through life and we don't realize even the moments in our lives when God gives us victory in things. I think sometimes, we, listen, God will sometimes, listen, cause rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God will sometimes do good things for people that we think, why in the world would God use that person or do something in that person's life? We have no idea, but all I know is that God had brought favor. And here's a guy who has everything going for him. He's probably wealthy because of his position. He's got honor. He's got stature. The king knows him. I mean, here's a guy who is a valiant warrior, it says, and then it says, but he had a condition. He's got everything going for him. But he's got a condition. He had leprosy. Now, leprosy is a, a disease that often start on the skin. Eventually, it'll affect your whole body. It starts on the extremities. Probably good news for him is that he was a warrior. And so he probably wore gear and battle. And so he probably covered it up. He had a spot of leprosy, which, by the way, in that culture today, you know, we, we can deal with leprosy. Today, it's not as big an issue. I mean, you know, globally, but back then, if you had leprosy, let me just tell you that it was a contagion. You would get isolated from the rest of the world. Like, like it was, and eventually it will take your life and you will die. There's nothing you could do about it. And so here he is. He seems like he's got everything going for him, but he's got this condition that probably nobody sees that he would constantly hide from people. And you know, I thought I got this picture in my head. I thought, I wonder if that's not how life looks for so many people today in our world. That I'm saying, have you ever noticed you look at people and it seems like some people have it all together? Some people seem to have the perfect life and they got the perfect job and they got the perfect family and they got, they got the perfect kids. They're always, they always behave and they never misbehave. They got the perfect pets who never go inside the house. They've got the perfect life. You only see them on the gram, but everything looks good. They're always happy. You know what I have found is that when we look at people and we think they've got it all together, what we can't see is the real condition that they have inside. And most of us, and I bet even many of you, you come to church and we'll show up in church and we'll all look good. We'll get a smile. It's like, hey, everybody, everybody, how you doing? You see people. And what other people don't know is that you're battling something inside. And we do our best to hide it. I get it. I don't want anybody to know what I'm struggling with emotionally. I don't want anybody to know what I'm struggling with in my faith. I don't want anybody to know that our marriage is struggling. I don't want anybody to know that I've been fighting with my kids. I don't want anybody to know that we're struggling. This is what we do. And so on the surface, everything looks great, but what's underneath, that's the problem. And the truth is this, many of you, I get it, are fighting a battle. You're fighting a battle that probably nobody knows inside, which is why, by the way, I I felt prompted to begin a series that we're going to begin this coming Thursday called Minefield. It's called Minefield. Here's what it's about, winning the war in our minds. Because I'm going to tell you, I think the greatest battle that most of us face, I'm talking about even spiritually and the way it affects us, is in the mind. It's not around you, it's within you. That's the greatest battle that many of us are fighting. And so we're going to talk about it. I'm going to dive into some just really real subjects over the next several weeks. We're going to talk about how do I win the war in my mind. If some of you feel like you're anxious all the time. Some of you feel like you battle anxiety. Maybe you feel like you have panic attacks. Some of you feel like you worry all the time. You're so afraid. You know, we live in an age where today they say people have more anxiety today than any other time in human history. Well, let's talk about it because that's the condition, the battle that we're all facing. And so I, I feel like, like Naaman, it's like he's got everything going for him except for something inside that nobody can see. And the story goes on to say in verse 2, it says this, that now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl 
from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet, now that prophet is the name of Elisha, who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now this is a crazy turn of events because the Arameans would go into Israel territory. They would send bands of raiders who would go and attack places, and they would take people as servants and slaves back to their land. Naaman just so happens that his wife has a servant that's an Israelite young girl. And she's one of the few, because why? Because that's the one place where, where maybe he would expose his leprosy. Only at home. Nobody else knows what he's going through. And she sees it and she tells her servant, or she tells her mistress, she said, listen, if only he would go to see this prophet in Israel and Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman finds this out, okay? And so Naaman's like, I, I've got to, I've got to go, I got to go get healed. I got to go get this figured out. And so he takes and goes to his king. Now, remember, these two kings, these two nations are at war with each other. He goes to his king and he says, listen, there's somebody back in Israel that can supposedly heal me of my disease. He says, can I go back to, to Israel? I want to do this. And so the king of Israel, who loves him so much, says, absolutely, writes him a note. It's like your parent writes you a note and sends it with you to school. Writes a note to the other king, the king of Israel, and says, would you heal my servant Naaman? So Naaman takes gold. He takes silver. He doesn't know how much it's going to cost for the treatments. He doesn't know. He takes all this stuff, chariots and everything, and he travels back to Israel. He goes to the king of Israel. That's the first thing you would do. And when the king of Israel hears that he came and he's got a letter that says, hey, would you heal my servant? The king of Israel freaks out. He's like, I don't know how to do that. He didn't realize that he was really going there to meet Elisha. So finally, Naaman gets sent to go to see the prophet Elisha. And this is what happens. It says in verse 9, it says, So Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Can you imagine if you had a major disease... And the only thing that you had to do was to go wash in a river seven times. That would be the greatest thing ever, wouldn't it? Some of you are facing a, a medical thing. Some of you deal with that. Can you imagine if the cure to what you need is all you have to do? You don't have to go through weeks of infusion therapy. You don't have to go through a bunch of painful procedures. You don't have to have surgery. I'd be jumping up and down if I were named. That's all I got to do. All I got to do is go jump in the Jordan. Go jump in the Jordan, get back out, jump in the Jordan. All I got to do is go in the Jordan and wash seven times, done. That's easy. I'll do that any day. And yet his response is actually kind of interesting. Here's his response. Look at verse 11. It says, but Naaman went away angry. And he said, I thought that he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy are not abana and farpar the rivers of damascus better than the waters of israel couldn't i wash in them why did i have to make this whole journey why did i have to bring all this couldn't i wash in them and be cleansed so he turned and he went off listen to this in a rage isn't that crazy he left angry i personally think he got disrespected because elisha didn't even come to the door he just sent his messenger. Do you know who I am? He didn't even show up at the door and he gets a message. Go wash. Go jump in the Jordan seven times. Just go wash in the Jordan River and you'll be cleansed. And it says he left angry. 
Here's why. Here's what he said. He said, I thought that the man of God would come out, call on his Lord God, and wave his hand over the spot. Because some of you may not have known, that's how you heal leprosy. You, he, he thought David Blaine was going to come on out. He was going to do some kind of street magic in front of him. He was like, all right, I'm going to call God. I want you to put your hand out. Now watch this one. I'll rub my hand over top. All of a sudden, it's going to disappear. Watch the card. Watch the card. Like some people thought, he's like, I thought, I thought that. Can I just tell you, this is what's crazy to me, is the biggest problem that he had was that he thought. Can I tell you, and I want to say this as nicely as I can, that one of the biggest reasons why many of us today don't experience what God has for us, the life that he has for us, it's not because of God and limitations he has, but it's because we thought. Because I thought. Everybody say, I thought. Come on, say, I thought. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell him, you know what the problem is? You think. That's the problem. I thought. Isn't this the problem? I, you see, I have a crisis of faith because I, I thought God was going to answer my prayer this way. And he didn't. This is real. This is what we struggle with. I thought if my husband came to church, that all of a sudden our marriage was going to get better at home, but it didn't. I, I thought that if I gave a little bit of money, because we're hurting real quick, then I thought that maybe I'd get some magic check that would show up in my mailbox this week to get us out of the hole that we're in. I thought that's what God was going to do. I thought. I thought God was going to give me a big old sign so I know exactly what decision to make. I thought. I thought. Can I tell you the biggest problem we have today is that we think. We think we know how it should go. We think we know how God should operate. We think we know what God should be doing in our lives. That's the biggest thing that tends to get in the way of our lives. You know the biggest thing that keeps you from the destiny that God has for you? It's not God, it's you. It's me. It's what I thought he would do. If I keep waiting for God to show up, if we keep waiting for God to do this, listen, can I tell you something? Most of us are waiting on God to do something big in our lives. I'm waiting for a breakthrough. I'm waiting for something big. I'm waiting for you to change this person. I'm waiting for God to do something big. All the meanwhile, God's waiting for us to do something small. God, can you show up and do something big? God's like, I know, but I already asked you to do this one small thing and you refuse to do it. If you want to see God do something big in your life, can I just tell you, start with the very small thing that God has already asked you to do that you refuse to do. That's the thing that's going to bring the freedom in your life. I just want God to show, I want God to do. Why, why do I have to go dip in this river? We got better rivers back where I'm from. That's what Naaman said. Why do I got to go into, why did I make this trek? Why did I bring all this money and all these people? Why did I get embarrassed like this? Why didn't you come to the door? Why, did, why didn't I just do it in the, in the rivers back in Damascus? Because they're way better than the rivers you got here in Israel. Now listen, now, if you've never been to Israel, then you don't really have a context to understand where Naaman was coming from. I actually had the privilege of getting to go last year in December. And I see, I had this, I had this kind of dream. I've always had this dream um, that one day when I get to Israel, that I was going to get baptized. I said, I wanted to get baptized in Israel. Now, I was baptized when I was a kid, but, but 
But there was something about it, my calling. I just felt, I was just like, oh, I want to get baptized. I mean, part of that is I'm Jewish. Like my mom's Jewish, not by faith, but by race. And so there's just something about like that land. And, and you know, it's so significant. So when I had this opportunity to go back to the Holy Land, uh, I went on this trip with a bunch of other pastors. It was like 20 some other couples, 50 people. And I remember I, I sent an email to the director who was, who was running the, the trip. I said, hey, listen, I've kind of had this bucket list spiritual thing that I want to get baptized in Israel. I would love, love if possible, because I didn't make the itinerary, if I could get baptized in Israel and in the Jordan River. I wanted to, I wanted to get baptized in the Jordan River. You know why? Because John the Baptist, he used to baptize people in the Jordan River. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. That there's something about the Jordan. I was like, I, I would love it if I could get baptized maybe where Jesus got baptized. I mean, how cool would that be? You know what I mean? Like, like, I mean, it's one thing to get in a little trough that we have here. It's another thing to be at the Jordan River. I thought, man, I want that opportunity. He said, you know, he said, all right. He said, hey, we, we've got to stop along the way. One of the days in journey where we go to this place where, where they have baptisms and they kind of believe that's, that's where maybe John used to do all the baptisms. And I was like, okay, okay. So I remember the day I woke up and it was the day we we're going to travel to that part. And, and so I kind of like in my book bag, I had packed like some extra clothes and um, I forgot to bring a towel. So I may or may not have borrowed one from the hotel that we stayed at. Please, Lord, forgive me. A uh, little souvenir. But I, and so I was like, I'm getting ready for this, man. I'm, I'm going to get baptized. And so we, we drive, we're driving out through West Bank and all that. We get to the spot. This is the spot. Our bus pulls up to the spot. And they say, hey, this is a spot. We're only going to be here for a short, brief time. This is the Jordan River. And, and when you get to there, if you ever get a chance to go there, and I hope you do, uh, they have like these buildings and they sell where you ever see people get baptized, they're wearing like big white things and all that. They sell all that at the spot is where people go. They come there specifically to get baptized. And so I kind of excited. I told my wife, I was like, I think this might be it. Maybe I'll bring my bag and my towel and, you know, go out there and get baptized real fast. And, and so I go walking up to the edge of the Jordan River. And then as soon as I got to the edge of the Jordan River, something in my spirit just said, mm, not today. You want to know what that was? I'll show you. I took a picture of the Jordan River. Go ahead and stick it up. Just so I want you to see. That's what the Jordan River looks like. Yeah, you wouldn't want to get baptized in that either. I literally, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I had like bucket list item, you know? I want to get baptized in Israel. I might, I would love to get baptized in the Jordan River. I looked at that water and I thought to myself, if I get baptized in that, I will end up with leprosy or malaria or dysentery or I don't even know what other things I'm going to get. People do get sick getting baptized. I said, I ain't getting baptized there. Here was cool though. Okay, okay, okay. I did get baptized, but it's where the Jordan River dumps into the Dead Sea and my good friend, Pastor Matt Johnson, baptized me. And so it was a really cool thing for me to get baptized over in Israel. If we ever take tours of people, which I want to do over there, maybe there'll be a chance for you to get baptized. I'm just not sure I'm going to be doing it in the Jordan River with you. I don't know if it was like that back then, but now I kind of have context where I understand where Naaman's going, the, the Jordan River? We got cleaner rivers back while, why the Jordan River? And here's what, listen to me, here's what he doesn't understand. There's nothing special about the Jordan River. 
It wasn't the water in the Jordan River, like there's some kind of special mineral inside of it that counteracts leprosy and what. It wasn't about the water in the Jordan River that would make him whole. It was about his act of obedience in that moment that would produce the healing that he wanted. Can I just say to you that sometimes it's the small thing that doesn't make sense. God's been prompting you. It's time to start serving. It's time to go to X university and take another step in your spiritual development. It's time to get into a small group. It's time to start giving. It's time to start reaching out to your neighbors. And all these things, they make you nervous. You're like, I don't know. Maybe it's time to get baptized. And yet we, we think, ah, that's kind of weird. I don't want to do that. You don't realize that your refusal to be obedient in that one small thing could be the very thing that is keeping you from experiencing all that God has for you. It's not about the water it's not about the particular thing it's about the act of obedience listen that can pave the way for what god wants to do in your life it's just will we be obedient and so naaman left ready to go back without getting his miracle and thankfully there were some people around him to knock some sense into him so it says in verse 13 and 14 it says this that Naaman's servants, they went to him and they said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? I mean, if he had asked you to do some travel to some far distant land to go get some, if he had, wouldn't you have done it if it was big? He said, how much more then when he tells you simply wash and be cleansed? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. This is cool. His flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Can I tell you this is why the community around you matters? You need friends, pastors, small group leaders. You need people in your life that will look you in the eye and tell you when you're doing something foolish. You know, I found those are the people that we tend to avoid the most. I don't know. He always says, he's just so direct. And it's like, you need to stop that. And you need to break this relationship off. And you're not doing this. Those are the people that we often don't like the most. And yet, I can just say this. Those are the people we probably need in our life the most. The people who lovingly look at us and say, dude, what you're doing with your life is a mess. You need to turn it around. Come on, I'll help you. We need a community of people like that around us. And that's what he has. And the servants say, come on. If he had asked you to do something hard, something big, something great, something, would you not have done it? If he had asked you to go through surgery, if he asked you to do it, wouldn't you have done it? And all I want to understand is that a lot of times God asks us to do things, and I'll just be honest, and you're not going to like this, but most of the time they're not hard. It's just stuff we don't want to do. God said, I want you to forgive that person that hurts you. You can do that inside. You can do it. It's not hard to do. So you go, yeah, it is. No, it's not hard to do. It's not physically. It's not hard to do. It's just the problem is we don't want to do it. I just don't want to be obedient. I don't want to do it. Whatever it is that God's prompting your heart to do. It's, listen, it may not be hard. But, it, but it's the very thing that maybe stands between you and, and what God wants to take you. Because listen to this. Here's the thing I love about God. I want you to understand this. God doesn't make it hard for any of us to come to him. I want you to hear that today. So maybe there's someone here that's new. 
You feel like, I, I just don't know that I could approach God. I don't know what I need to do to get in good graces with God. You don't have to do anything. Can I tell you this? This is what separates Christianity from any other faith system in this world. And that is this, that Jesus already did the hard work for you. Come on, can we agree on that? Jesus did the hard work for you. He did the hard thing. You know what the hard thing was? Jesus, though he lived a sinless life, he died a sinner's death. Jesus, he went to the cross, he was whipped and he was beaten and he kept his mouth shut. You want to talk about hard? That's hard. Jesus was nailed to a cross and hung naked in front of people. You want to talk about hard? That's hard. He did the hard work and here's the thing you need to know about the grace of God and that is that you don't have to try to do something hard. God's not going to ask you. He's not going to make it hard for you to find Him. If you want God, you want to reach out for Him by faith, you just say, God, by faith, I need you. I want you in my life. I receive you. That's all you got to do because He's already done it. He's just waiting for us to be obedient in the small things. Hey, Naaman, take a dip in the Jordan seven times. I love how he told him seven times. Why seven? Because seven is the number of completion. Seven is the full spec. Seven is the number of God. It's the number of heaven. It's the number. In other words, what the prophet was saying to him is you can't fix this on your own. You need God. You need God. And he went and dipped himself in the water. And I was thinking about how we got people on our campuses. And we already got to experience a bunch at this location. I'm sure in Lancaster, they got baptized and they're getting baptized today. I couldn't help but think about the connection between Naaman's story and baptism. Go and dip in the water. And when you come out, you'll be restored, washed and cleansed, made new. His skin was made new. But here's what baptism is. It's not about the outward and the skin, but it's about the inside being made new. And today we got people on our campuses that are making that decision to get baptized. That's one of those small, significant decisions that paves, paves the way for the big thing that God wants to do in their life. And it was small, but it's big, actually. It's small, but it's big result. It's small, but it's big. And I want to say this today because I, I want to just challenge you all. I'm going to look in the camera. I want to say this to every person in Lancaster right now. I believe that there are many of you here today that maybe you need to respond to Jesus and his grace. Maybe you've been coming. Maybe you've been dabbling around the edge of the water. Maybe you dip your toe in here and there. But today is a day where it's time to go all in with Jesus. It's that moment, a defining moment. I believe today can be your defining moment if you will say yes to Jesus. And listen, I also believe that today will be your defining moment for many of you to make a decision to get baptized. I know there's some of you that planned on it, but I believe with everything in me that there are some of you right now in our experiences that you're going to get baptized today and you weren't planning on it. I love to offer this. I love sometimes just to come and say, you know what? What does it look like for you to just say, you know what, in this moment, I'm going to respond to God's voice and I'm going to be obedient. To not have time to talk yourself out of it. That's what we like to do. To not talk, what does it look like for you to respond? Let me tell you what baptism is. I'm going to explain it to you. Baptism is an outward expression, something that we do of an inward decision. Okay? It's an outward expression. You go down in the water, it, it is a symbol. I want you to understand this. It's a symbol of Jesus' death 
his burial in the ground and then his resurrection to new life. And when you go down in the water, what you're symbolizing is the decision that you've made. It's a symbol that your old life is dead, but you have a new life in Jesus Christ that you have made new. There's a washing, there's a cleansing that happens inside of us when we respond in obedience. That's what baptism is a symbol. You know, a symbol, like it's an outward symbol, like my wedding ring. My wedding ring is an outward symbol. I wear this so the world, so I and my wife, reminded constantly of the decision that we made. It's a defining moment decision. Can I tell you, getting baptized is a defining moment decision in your life. One of those small little decisions that actually has big impact in your life. I just want you to understand this about baptism. Baptism won't save you. If you're here today going, I need, I need God. I, I want eternal life and I want all that. So I guess I get baptized. That's what I need to get saved. Listen, I want to be real clear on this. Baptism does not save you. Baptism is a response to what God has already done. Here's why. Because if baptism saves you, it is responding in obedience. But if baptism saves you, then your salvation is not solely based on what Jesus did, but also on what you do. Listen, I want you to understand this. There is no ritual there is no, nothing you can do to work more to get more of God's love than he already has given to you. You have all that you need from God and it was done by God and he is the one that saves us. It's our response by faith, but it is him. He did a hard work. He did the hard work. It's us to respond in faith. So today, I just want to say this in a little bit here. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Not just those who came thinking, I'm going to get baptized today. But for many of you, it's time to respond. It's time to be obedient. And I know right now what you're thinking. You're like, inside, I believe the Spirit of God is prompting you. There's something inside of you that's just, you know, it makes that real nervous feeling inside. And you're just like, oh gosh, I wish it wasn't happening because I got something inside of me is pushing me and pulling me and saying, I need to do this. Yes, that's the Spirit of God. He's trying to lead you to be obedient, to take another step. But right now, your mind is telling you all the reasons why you shouldn't. Some of the reasons that maybe you're wrestling with. Maybe you think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was baptized when I was a child or I was confirmed when I was a child. I was baptized when I was a baby. Some traditions, that's what they do. Someone sprinkled water and you wore this real pretty dress or you looked really cute, but you cried the whole time. And, and listen, and, and, I'll, and I think sometimes we do, th we think, but if I get baptized now, I feel like it just kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to offend my parents. I feel like it kind of canceled. I don't know what it does, but I just feel like it, it, I already did it once. Let me just, let me say this as lovingly as I can. In the scriptures, in the New Testament, every place when people got baptized, it was after they believed. And what I want to say is, if you came from a tradition where maybe you were baptized as a baby, I want to say, first of all, your parents did that because they loved you. It's because their heart's desire for you was that you would have a faith in God. But I want you to also just recognize right now, you didn't make that decision. They made it for you. They made it for you. And so what I want you to see is instead of like, I feel like I'm nullifying what they did. I want you to see it as I'm completing what they desired for me. It's the full circle comp completion of what they wanted for me. And so I, I believe very clearly scripturally that after we believe that we are to be obedient and get baptized, 
Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and teach them to deserve all that I've commanded. That was the Great Commission. That's why we do it. Jesus did it. We follow in his footsteps. And I know some of you go, I just don't want it in front of a lot of people. And maybe you think, well, my faith is really a private matter. And today in our world, I get it. It's like there's two topics that are so volatile you don't talk about. We all know what they are, religion and politics. But can I just tell you something? I really believe with every fiber inside of me, and that is this, that your faith was never intended to be a private thing. It might be personal between you and God, but it was not private. And all I know is that my Lord and Savior Jesus died a very public death for me. He went to the cross. He hung naked for me. And so listen, it is not, my response should not be private. Your life of faith should not be private. You know we're called to be a city on a hill? That you don't cover up a light? We are a light to the world. We're salt in the earth. Come on, if there's anything that we're called to do as Christ followers, it's to stand out. It's to go public. It's to let people know that Jesus is the only way to the Father. I know, I know you're wrestling. I understand it's personal. But it's not meant to be private. We do it together as a community. And, and I know some of you go, okay, okay. But I just, I didn't come prepared. I'm not ready. I think I'm prepared. I have to bring the right clothes. And I don't know. I haven't really been a Christian. Maybe really, maybe today you're going to make a decision to follow Jesus. Don't I need to go through some kind of class? Actually, you don't. I just taught it right now. This is the baptism class. So you're good, okay? Don't, don't I need to like, I don't know, try this for 10, 12 weeks, kind of make sure I'm good enough? To give, what did I tell you about baptism? You'll never be good enough. It's not about what you do. It's about what he already did. It's just a symbol about your decision to say, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And I know, I know some of you are like, I just, I don't know. I, I don't have anything to wear. I can't be getting in my car. I got a nice car, leather seats, all soaking wet. I'm weird. I knew you were going to think that way. And I knew you weren't going to be prepared. But listen, we're prepared for you. In fact, I want to show you something. Janice, I'm going to show them this. They, they ain't going to like this. Janice, did you put this together for me? I think Janice did. L let me show you what we have. On our campuses, we put together these kits we, of supplies so that I just want to remove every excuse. That's all I'm trying to do. I just want to remove the roadblocks. So listen, you want to get baptized today? You didn't come prepared? We got a t-shirt that we're going to give you. You get to keep it. It says, on the path. Come on, that's our mission state, helping people get on the path together. Come on, that's what we're doing. You get to keep this. This is kind of a, a reminder of it. We're going to give you a towel because I know some of you are like, okay, I, I, I'm going to be wet. That's right. We got towels for you. So you're going to have a towel. Check this out. We're going to have shorts. We got shorts. They may not be the most uh, fashion forward shorts you've ever seen in your life, but we got some shorts for you so you don't have to get dunked in your clothes. We got, listen guys, we got underwear for you. Yeah, we got boxers, briefs for men and women. I don't know. Uh, uh, maybe not for women. I don't know if you'd want that. We've got other garments, ladies. Hello. We want to make sure you're covered every way, shape, or form. Okay. We, we've got everything you can imagine. We also have, ladies, I know you're worried about your makeup. We got makeup wipes in the bathroom, so you're covered there. Okay. We've got deodorant because I want you stinking when you get done. You're like, it get washed off. And then we got hair product stuff for you so you can do that. We got hair ties, ladies, so you can just put your hair up. You can keep that. You can take that with you. We got blow dryers. What I'm trying to say is this. We thought of it all. We've got everything that you need so can I ask you what's keeping you from going all in with him today what is it
Is it your pride? Well, maybe it's time to put that aside. Some of you today, I really believe it's time to surrender your life fully to Jesus. Some of you maybe have, but you haven't been obedient in this one area. If you'll be obedient in the small things, like today, watch what God does in your life. Come on, in response to this, would you all stand up to your feet as we get ready to pray together? I want to give you that opportunity today. Do you bow your heads, just close your eyes. I want this just to be a real moment for people. Would you not move around in this moment? I, this is between you and God right now. This is the personal part that I talked about. I don't want you to feel any pressure. But if you feel the Spirit of God prompting you, I'm asking you, what's holding you back? What's holding you back today? God has an abundant life for you. But you got to respond. It's not about something that you do today. I want you to understand it's about something you receive. That's his salvation. God wants to give that to you today. At both of our locations, if you say, I'm ready, I'm ready to receive Jesus as my Savior. I don't have all my questions answered. You don't have to have all your questions answered. I've been following Jesus a long time, and let me tell you something. I don't have all my questions answered, but I can tell you this. I look back to that decision that I made when I was 17 years old to surrender my life to Jesus, and I'm telling you, my life has been changed because of that. My destiny has been changed because of that. My purpose has been declared because of that. And today can be your defining moment. This is it right here. And so every head bowed and eyes closed, if you're ready to pray and receive Jesus as your Savior, would you pray this prayer with me right now? You say, Heavenly Father, I'll receive Jesus as my Savior. I recognize my sin. Today I come to you by faith. I believe, God, that you raised Jesus from the dead to give me new life. And so today I receive you by faith to be my Lord and my Savior. I commit my life to you to follow you from this moment forward. Listen, as we're praying, I just wonder if maybe some of you prayed that prayer with me right now. If you did, then I'm going to speak to you real clearly, and I'm going to say it's time for you to be obedient and get baptized. All throughout the Bible, when people believed, it says that day they got baptized. Can I ask you, what's holding you back? we got photographers, videographers. We've got everything that you need. All oh, it's up to you. It's time to respond by faith. And so in just a moment, I'm going to count to three. And every single person on our campuses, you want to get baptized today, we're ready for you. We've been praying for you. It's time to respond. And on the count of three, you're going to step out from your seat. Push your way out of the aisle. If someone's there, you just say, excuse me, move. I've got a destiny in front of me. I've got something God's calling to me too. And it's higher than this. And I'm going to respond. And so in a moment, when I count to three, you're going to make your way to the back of the auditorium. we got servant leaders. They're going to receive you. And we're going to celebrate with you what God has done. So if you committed your life to Jesus today, or if you're here and you say it's time to respond in obedience, obedience do not hesitate when i get to three but you move you move and we're gonna see god move in your life on the count of three this is it one come on that you'll never be the same two this is your moment three come on let's go let's go move if that's you come on people are moving here in lithopolis come on lake